the information, suggestions, and ideas of the podcaster or any other non-accredited, unqualified guests are exactly that, opinions, and do not constitute professional advice, counsel, or prescriptive recommendations for our listening audience. If you need help, seek professional help and do it today. Welcome to the Unlimited Worth Podcast. We are normalizing the narrative for men who have healed from their childhood trauma by sharing stories of happiness, success, and love. I'm on a mission to encourage millions of men and the families who love them get the support and healing they need so they can realize their unlimited worth. Brandon Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a great topic. Now it's become a topic that I, I'm very passionate about sharing so other people experience healing as well. Let me share a little bit about you sure. with everyone. Uh, Brandon, you're a proud husband and dad of five kids. How many of those are ladies? Four. Four <laughs> daughters and a son. I think it's critical that we bring that for context. One of the biggest ways your childhood trauma influenced you was this deep desire to have your own family and do it better. You've said that you've done that well in the midst of a lot of other challenges and pains. And, you know, you are the co-founder of Amplified, and it's a sales tech solution for non-tech companies that helps professionals build rapport and relationship with ideal customers. And my personal connection with you, I know that you have a high EQ and you really do understand that important balance between the business talk and the communication at a personal level. So Brandon, thanks again. Yeah. I really am happy to have you and let's just get right into it. So help me understand a little bit of that story for you that connected the trauma with where you are today. I mean, you already placed it in that intro. Talk yeah. to me about that connection. Thanks for having me, Mike, and the opportunity to share. I usually, I like to start before I talk about my trauma with this is that uh, my dad, who was really the source of my trauma, had a much more terrible dad than I did. And I understand that. And there's a lot of grace there for him. And so when I talk about my dad and the chaos that I lived through, I don't do it from a place of anger. I don't do it from a place of putting him down. It's really just meant to be descriptive of what happened to me. He's on his own journey. He started dealing with healing later in life, which I'm very grateful for him. Unfortunately for him, it took him well over 75 years to start dealing with healing, but I'm grateful that he's going to get to experience some healing and peace before he leaves this earth. So that said, my dad was was really the, the source of my trauma. He was alcoholic. He was angry. Um, if you can hear that. I got a big thunderstorm coming in right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was um, he was abusive. He was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. For me, it was the fear. I grew up in tremendous fear because I never knew who he was going to be when I was around him. He was a source of embarrassment. He would embarrass me and ridicule me in front of people. He was a source of chaos. He would come home and be angry, you know, throw stuff up against the wall and, you know, be physical with my mom. And this is my whole childhood. I just grew up very scared, but I didn't realize how I was until much later in life. I grew up insecure. I used other things like my grade in school, my ability playing soccer, things like that to help me feel good about myself. You know, when you don't have, and again, I didn't know this until much later in life, 
But when you don't have the protection, the support, any sort of kindness from your dad, especially as a, as a young boy, it really screws with our maturing. Yeah, it certainly does. When you consider that impact, you've gone to great lengths to ensure that your home life is not a reflection of that, but a, almost a polar opposite. Was that an intentional decision by you to, if you will, break a cycle? Absolutely. Whether this was a God-given, um, however people want to describe it, I think for me that I was protected within a really bad situation by God. But I had a desire and I had an awareness that my home life wasn't right. And I had an awareness that it didn't have to be. And I didn't know for a lot of times, you know, five years old, six years old, eight years old. Like, I didn't know what other people's home, home lives like. We never really do, right? We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And most people had no idea what was going on behind our closed doors. But I just knew that it wasn't right. And I, from an early age, I mean, I think I was just kind of a, a weird, you know, younger boy in high school and all that, that I really just wanted my own family. You know, I wanted my, my wife, I wanted kids, and I wanted to do it better. And I knew from a young age that my one of my purposes in life is going to be to break that chain, break that cycle. And we know that there's an intentionality about having the awareness, but then also there's underlying subconscious patterns and traits that we develop because of our traumas. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of those we have no, you know, we have no say in until we do. Right. And so you made great strides to build a family unit that was everything you wanted it to be and want it to be. I know you still have a loving, wonderful family. Mm -hmm. What were the things that were underlying that were a result of your trauma that were created mm -hmm. as a byproduct of it or a protection mechanism that applied and affected your life outside of that wonderful family unit or you know, within it in a different way? That is a great question. And what you asking that question tells me is that you've experienced it because I don't think a lot of people wouldn't really understand that. And I didn't understand it for a lot of years. Like I didn't get it until one day I got it because I was so broken and messed up. But yeah, you know, one of the things you and I talked about before was how did our trauma affect all these different stages of our lives? You know, it, it influenced my career, it influenced my career path, it influenced the husband I was. And I thought I was a good husband and I, and I was, but I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was because so much of my brokenness was still manifesting. I dealt with anger. I had to deal with wanting my own way. I had to deal with throwing up big walls when I got hurt to protect myself. You know, some of the typical, I think are typical now when I look at it, I talk too much sometimes because I had to talk my way out of things. I used to get in trouble for things that I didn't do. I knew I didn't do it. I knew my dad knew I didn't do it, but he was pissed off and had to blame somebody for it. And I would catch, you know, the shit of it. Yeah. You know, I, I had to learn how to try to rationalize my way out of things. And I learned how to navigate him and I got pretty good at it, but it's really not a good skill to have when it comes to the rest of your life. Cause I could navigate around a boss. I could navigate around things I didn't want to do in school. I could navigate around soccer coaches. But as much as I thought I was being successful, because the way I learned to navigate my dad was somewhat successful, it kept me out of trouble more often than I would have been otherwise. It was actually detrimental to all the other relationships that I had. My soccer coaches, 
professors, teachers, friendships, they looked at me because they didn't come from that type of brokenness and just were always thinking like, what are you doing? And it's because I didn't trust people. As soon as I started to feel hurt, I bolt. I couldn't be totally honest because I felt like if they knew the true me and the depths of me, they would run. And so in in my marriage, and and I, you know, I probably beat myself up a more than my wife would say I should. I was a good husband, but I could have been better. And that's who I wanted to be. And I was a good dad, but I wasn't a great dad. I mean, I have, I tell a little story. Of course, this is all about stories. Soccer was my kind of source of feeling like I had purpose or belonged somewhere because when I was younger, I was really good. And then as we all got older, 15, 16, my teammates got bigger, faster, and I wasn't as good, which is fine. But we had this game. I was 12 years old. We had a club. I played in Europe when I was 10 and 11. And then we had a team from Denmark come to California to play against us and tour. We had this great field and a bunch of people come out. They were throwing like a picnic party type thing on this, these two soccer games. My dad videotaped the game. During the game, I'll tell you my experience first. This is a team from Europe. We were 12-year-old kids. They were probably going to kick our butts because we didn't know anything about soccer, right? But we won the game and we won it three to two and I scored three goals. And I felt like I was on top of the world. Amazing. Amazing I thought I had a great game and all this stuff. Well, after the game, we went to our house and we had a pool party and all this stuff. And we were all excited. And the, the Danish team was there. My American team was there. And we put the tape in to go watch the game. And what I heard was the commentary that was going on between my dad and another dad. And at the very beginning, before the game started, this other dad comes walking up and he's like, what a great day for soccer. And we're going to do well. And my dad goes, no, we're not. We're going to get our asses kicked. And this other dad said, no, we're not. You know why? Because we have your son on our team. Your son is great. And he's going to do a great job today. And my dad bashed me to this other dad. He actually bet against me and my team with the other dad. And throughout the game, like one of my goals that I scored, the other guy, the other dad was going, did you see that? Did you see, oh my gosh, that was incredible. And my dad bashed me. It crushed me. It was like my, one of my greatest highs in that point in life was just crushed by my own dad. Your question was, how did that, how does some of that trauma manifest in those times? 10 years ago, Kate, who's our second daughter, she was a good little soccer player. I was, this time I didn't have a big old video camera. I just had an iPad and I was filming some of the game for her. The dad and, with the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there was a thing where the spot where she, in my opinion, I thought she should have taken a shot and she didn't. She passed it off. And I looked at my wife and I said, see, it's stuff like that. You know, I wish Kate was more aggressive and she doesn't believe in herself enough. Now, I wasn't as negative and bad as my dad was, but it was enough that when I was watching it with my daughter and that happened, she looked at me, she started to get tears in her eyes and I broke and I just went, what the hell are you doing? That critical nature is just so detrimental to a child. And I, not nearly to the extent, but I did it to my daughter. And it was one of several things that just broke me. I said, I have got to figure this shit out and overcome it because I do not want to be this dad to my children. So it's kind of a long story to answer your question. It's a wonderful story. It's powerful. We used to play in Sacramento, a big select tournament right around that time. I just wonder if we ever played each other. (laughs) 
at that you age. You could have. the same age. Yeah. You mentioned the, the power of fear in mm-hmm. your life, how that, I mean, clearly your behaviors of navigating and mitigating through words to protect yourself from, you know, getting shit on by bosses, coaches, anyone else. But how does that really start to take over in terms of patterns that you kind of repeat in life and business, if you will, that you were able to look back at at that moment. So we're going to talk a little bit about the healing moments for you as well, but maybe help me understand some of those and then we'll go to that. Turning point for me happened in, when I was 38 and I'm 52 now. Every year I felt like I was getting better. And then like the next year, I'd feel like I got worse. I mean, it was a good 10 plus year journey for me to really start feeling like I was coming out the other end. And I used to get mad and frustrated with that. But now I look back on it and go, you know, I had a good 38 years of living in shit. If it takes 10 years to start smelling fresh and clean, that that's probably understandable. Yeah. You know, I would say I was, I was insecure. I was therefore rough around the edges. I didn't bond well with people other than a girlfriend. Like, cause I wanted that family, but I like, I didn't belong in a, in a friend group. I kind of hopped around to different friend groups. So I had my friends that were in like the honors classes. Cause you know, I had to be, I had to have good grades. Oh, the, the key thing there I think is, and I don't know how many times my dad had said this, but when you're a kid and it's even just said once, it kind of echoes throughout your brain for years. My dad would call me a piece of shit. You know, he'd say, you piece of shit, this, that, or the other. I just grew up going, I'm either a piece of shit or I have to prove that I'm not, which sucks, right? You can't just live and be and be loved for who you are. So I I became an overachiever. I mean, that was really a way it manifested my life. I, I had good grades. I was in honors classes. I was a captain of the soccer team. I was a football kicker. I ran cross country. Like everything I did always had to be the best it possibly could be. And it wasn't because I I wanted it. It was, I had to do it to feel right. And it's exhausting and there's no freedom in it. That kept going into, as as we were chatting before, I could have gone to Cal State Fullerton and played soccer, which was a division one school. But I ended up going to Claremont McKenna, which is a small private college, which is a division three school for soccer, but it's a really good school. And I went there because it was the best school that I got accepted to. On paper, it was the best school I got accepted to. That was it. It wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be. It wasn't really what I wanted to study. It was just the best school I got accepted to. So that fighting to not be the POS was in all areas of my life. And so what it would mean is if I wasn't as good as I wanted to be in something, I would quit so that I didn't have a failure. Or I would just work harder. If it meant that much, I would just work, work, work until I was the best I could be at it. And then that's where my pride and my sense of accomplishment and sense of self came in. Not in me and myself, but in the things that I accomplished. And there's some great things that come of it. I mean, here's the sad part. I think a lot of the manifestation of my brokenness resulted in what the world would see as being some pretty successful things. I started my first company before 27 years old. I look back on it now, you know why I started a company? I couldn't work for anyone else because I thought everyone else was out to get me. Right, right. You know, I became an entrepreneur for the, all the wrong reasons. I, I had to get good at it because I had no options. One of the most interesting traits of high performers who have dealt with trauma and 
move through it is they constantly are serving, leading, running on their own pace, taking initiative. And it's about control. It's about protection. But there's some virtue to it, too. There's virtues mm -hmm. in learning how to position oneself to be independent, to drive projects forward. Challenges is we're often not working with a good framework. Right. Uh, and so we drive projects forward and we're leading. And when stuff goes wrong, it really, really goes wrong. Right. And either we're mm -hmm. taken down by the people around us or because we attracted that or we're the ones who cause it. And either or, mm -hmm. you know, that leadership quality is often fundamental to what happened to constantly move forward to drive away from it. Right. It's almost an effort to drive away from what you, you know, thought you were. When did you feel most like the piece of shit, as, if I will, as an adult where you just basically said, this has got to change, help is what I need. Mm -hmm. when, when was that moment for you and what kind of, what did you seek for that help? How did you start to move through to healing? Because we yeah. really want to share what that message looks like on the other side. Mine isn't a quick fix. I'm just telling everybody now, I wish it was quicker and maybe I could have been quicker, but um, for anybody, and Mike, I can't remember if you and I have talked about it, but there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And without going into the details, because I don't understand all of it anyway, but this is what I took from it is we repress so much hurt and pain and fear and everything, and we can repress it for a long time. And that's one thing I know from my childhood and everything. I am, I am a tough SOB, you know, and it's, it's things like when I broke my leg, I walked on it for a week thinking, ah, it'll be fine. And the doctor was like, I can't believe you're walking. I, I have a high <laughs> tolerance for pain because I had to, I just, I had to, and I didn't know that it was that. At 37 years old, I had sold my second company. I was so overwhelmed with gratitude that I remember at three o'clock in the morning, just getting up one day and going in my office at home and just falling on the ground, being grateful that I couldn't believe this was my life. Mm. It was everything I wanted. Like, I remember thinking like, I actually like my wife. Like, I didn't know that was possible as a kid that you would enjoy each other. I enjoy being a dad. I enjoy my kids. Like, I like my roles as dad and husband and I still had a business and all this stuff. Life started falling apart around then too. And it was, there was an embezzlement from my CFO. There was selling the company was traumatic. Yeah, there was a lot of money, but it all of a sudden my identity completely shifted. And then um, the recession hit. I was under so much stress that I think it just, as the book would say, that there's like a, a traumatic event in life that hits you. And it's like all of those repressed feelings, fears, everything just come flooding into the scene. Mike, I felt like I was a scared five or six year old boy. And I was 38, married with four kids at the time, running a company, was worth lots, several million dollars. And I felt like I just wanted to die because I was scared. I was so scared and I didn't know what I was scared of, but I just had so much fear over me. I'm good being open. Like I just started asking people for help. I think the mistake I made is I didn't go see psychiatrists quick. Mm -hmm. It just, it wasn't on my radar. I wasn't, I just didn't think about it. I went to some counselors. Um, I went to some pastors. I went to some friends 
And the reality was nobody knew what to do with me. I see. Yeah. And, and I don't blame them now. At the time, I was pissed. I was like, I need help. And I'm reaching out. And people, I think they thought they were trying to help. But I was so messed up on the inside. So eventually, I, I did see, like years later, like I carried anxiety and depression with me for years, functional, hated it, was just miserable. We were losing money, but we were grateful that we had enough money put away that it was still carrying us. But I was to wreck for years. You know, for me, I really do credit God with interfering in a great way. One night I was, you know, three o'clock in the morning and it just stopped going, I can't do this anymore. And one thing for me with suicide is I, it, as much as I thought about things and, may, and, and had a bit of a death wish, like I wish I would have got hit by a bus, suicide was never an, a serious option for me because I would never do that to my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I truly believe it wasn't for my wife and kids. I, I, I probably would have done it. I was just hurt so much. And for anybody that's gone through anxiety and depression, it is a pain in the center of your person that hurts so bad and there's nothing you can do about it. Like I can't even explain how bad it hurts. That darkness is uh, next level darkness. And yeah. the, the biggest element when I went through it was how the hopelessness grips you. You see no alternatives and all you see is the insurmountable hurdle that is life in front of you and i was just watching a ted talk by a a contact of mine and you know he did this 10 years ago and he was talking about how he unsuccessfully hung himself he weighed an option that said i'm willing to attempt to hang myself and endure the pain which of course he lamented post haste that was terrible living through it was awful And that would be preferable to living in the life that he was living with the depression that he was living. Yeah, I get it. And those moments, I mean, one of the things, Brandon, you and I have talked about in one of the unlimited worth goals here is that we have some intervention and we don't have to, you know, I don't strongly believe that everyone has to have these moments in life, but you just reflected on something really key with that. And that is, and this is one of the biggest reasons, some, one of the biggest reasons a lot of men don't seek help is they don't feel people can help them. Mm-hmm. And you lived that. And so what would you, in reflection, what would you do in that moment? You were seeking help and maybe there was one piece of the puzzle you'd missed. And how would you have changed that? Once I got psychiatric help. That helped me a lot, and and it helped me in two ways. Yeah, there was there was drugs and chemicals, but they also did DNA work. I'm not smart enough to know the exact details of it, but I I grew up with a bit of a brain abnormality with my amino acids because of the constant fear. You know, when you're young and your brain's developing and everything's developing, and you live in fear and you deal with trauma and you're you know. When it's three o'clock in the morning and you're five years old and you're woken up because somebody threw something up against the wall and it shattered in pieces and you wake up with your heart racing, that shit has effects. You know, I'm very grateful, praise God, they found that in my DNA that I had some challenges and I'm on this medical food. It's not even, I mean, I have to get a prescription, but it's medical food. It's not pharmaceutical. Six, eight months after being on it, I start seeing a pretty significant difference. I've changed my lifestyle, um, my fitness, my food, 
I take 2,400 grams of omega-3 because, and you know, my, my doctor for my cholesterol wanted me to take like 500. My psychiatrist said, take 2,500 for your brain because some new research a few years ago said that. So the question was, what do you do? And I think um, medical is huge. And I've talked to people that six months into going through something, they sought medical help. And I said, yeah, it took me over six years to find medical help. It took me more like 10 years to find medical help. You know, I say I'm tough and I'm strong, but I'm also really stubborn. I think those go hand in hand. And I just kept thinking I was going to, I was going to come through it. And I read a lot of books. I prayed a lot. I just kept thinking that I was going to be able to somehow get through this. And, and I did see some counselors, but also I think part of my brokenness after a while, I'd get pissed. Like, you're not fixing me. Screw you. I'm going to go to someone else. And then after a while, I was like, I'm not going to any of them. Like nobody's fixing me. An interesting thing is, Brandon, you and I actually met. We were at male allies for a you know three or four thousand woman network. <laughs> and, right. and we were the male allies. What we're doing here is creating space for men to lead and become allies of other men. Yeah. You also talk about your life growing up, the fears but the environments that you were into and competing uh, with sports and school and business in a male environment, male-dominated environment often, how did that play into you preventing or being kept from getting the help you need? Like you went to people you knew in the community to be positions that would listen, but you were yeah. one step removed from making that step to see a psychiatrist. Did you feel at any point that, I, you know, I'm a dude, I'm going to just do this. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to fix myself because I'm self man. You know, I think for me, I think that was part of it for sure. I think the other piece, and and I, and I, I don't know how to say this the right way, because I sometimes say it in a way I don't totally mean, but you know, I'm a man of faith and a lot of people I went to were church related. And I'll be honest, I, I feel like I just got a lot of bullshit Christianese answers. I love God more than ever now, but I don't mind saying I got a bunch of bullshit Christianese answers. You know, you just need to trust God more. You need to have more faith, which none of that is wrong. You know, telling me to go get a tool that I had absolutely no idea how to have it. Part of my brain issue is that I was in perpetual fight or flight. People that aren't in that can't ex understand at all. Just like I didn't understand what it was like to just be peaceful mm -hmm. and not feel like I had to go do something because if I wasn't doing something, I wasn't going to be loved. Like I had to go grow the next thing, build the next thing, go buy the next thing, go do the next thing. Like I was constantly in movement mode. And so when I got advice like that, it actually made me feel broken because it was like, you just got to trust God. And I would think, how the F do I do that? Because I don't know how to do that. I'm trying, but it's not working. And it made me feel broken. Like everybody else just had this really simple faith and things just worked out well for everybody else. A lot of my brokenness of feeling like I deserved bad started playing out. Now, I thought about this the other day and it's so sad. It's so sad. When I graduated from college, my buddies and I took a little trip before we graduated and we had a video camera back then and we were all filming each other saying things and and there was one and I don't know where the video is. I, hopefully it's burned, but they said, okay, well, where do you think you're going to be in 10 years? 
And I said, oh man, I have no idea. I'll probably be under a bridge somewhere living. Like what a crappy wow. thing to say, right? And yeah, I probably played it off like I was being funny and I didn't really hope that for myself. But I was so, I had no idea. Like, and I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to believe for good things for myself. You know, when you consider that moment, that frame of mind, when we have trauma, we're not yet in the healing place. We're still consumed with shame and guilt and such a lack of work that we're not able to trust ourselves that we'll be fine, right? We don't, we're not able to trust we'll be okay. How can you expect to put your trust in anything, anyone, any God, if you can't even trust yourself that you'll be okay? And you're suspicious constantly mm -hmm. that you won't be okay. You're just being set up for the next fall. And so, of course, you were in a place where you could trust God because you couldn't even trust yourself. I grew up in a way that I learned that I was supposed to kind of eat crap in life. And, and what I mean is one of the ways my mom learned to try to appease and create peace in the house is once my dad wasn't angry anymore, she would say, go talk to your dad, like go make him happy. And so what I learned later in life is what I learned is you hurt me, you shit all over me, you did all the stuff, I'm scared of you, and now I have to go make you happy. Like, I'm worthless, I'm just a tool. What I'm designed for is to be used, that my feelings, my emotions, me, me, anything about me doesn't really matter. That was one of the hardest ones to really overcome because I didn't recognize it for so long. Let me take that a step further and look at that uh, relationship with either a bad partner or an embezzler or whatever moment that was, mm -hmm. did that prevent you from confronting the moment? Were you able to, how did you navigate those waters? Because if yeah. your tendency was obviously to appease the person who's wronging you, then your relationship with how you navigate those waters becomes for you something that seems logical, mm -hmm. but everyone on the outside would probably go, I can't believe that person. You know, yeah. how are you still hanging out with that? Person? You know, whatever. Was that evident in how you managed that situation? So here's the thing that was weird. I feel almost, and, and this is not the right word to, to use, but I almost feel like in some ways I was bipolar type in situations. Not that I was bipolar, but there were some situations that I would allow people to take advantage of me. And then there were other situations where you better watch out because I'm coming at you with everything I got and I'm not going to put up with it. And so like when the embezzlement happened, I don't know. I was actually mostly proud of the way I handled it. I was like, okay, well, and, and by the way, at this point, I have been my whole, my whole life, I have been trying to get healthy. So I'd seen counselors, not my whole life, but after college, I realized, hey, there's some things I need to work on. I didn't realize how deep it was. I didn't realize it was all going to like blow up on me at 38 years old. But I've been seeing counselors. I've been reading lots of books. I, you know, I'm into leadership and personal leadership and mindsets and I thought by the time I was 37, 38, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I can't believe I am the person I, I am and I have the family I have. And then all of a sudden it just blew all up in my face. But there were times that, yeah, I would let people walk all over me and I would just eat crap and lose money or whatever. But there were other times where um, I would just, and I, and I do think that the common denominator was when I felt obligated to other innocent people, then I wouldn't put up with stuff. But if it was just me, then I put up with it. So like the embezzlement, well, I had investors and I had a fiduciary responsibility. And so I threw everything at them. 
I think that was it. If it was just me, I'd take it. I'd eat crow. I understand that. You know, you had a role of a protector or pacifier in a household. You stood between your mom and, and a father who had that, and you stood between your life and a father who wasn't contributing to your success habits, if you will. Yeah. Let's look where you are now as a dad, mm-hmm. as a father. I know that it, you have a sense of pride, a sense of just love. You know, it just flows from you when I look at you and talk to you about your family. How have you become a better man who is healed or healing 2.0, if you will, Brandon 2.0? You talked a lot earlier on in this conversation about how you're, how you were, my wife was, my my kids were. Like you did a lot of past tense, which mm-hmm. implies either they're gone, which we know they're not, and they're here, and something is different. So where yeah. what is different now, and about that, and where you are mentally and personally when it comes to yeah. you know your life now? The key for me was once I realized how much my emotions affected me. Um, I've always knew I was an emotional guy, like no matter how tr- how hard I tried to be more macho or so, I just was, I was just an emotional sensitive guy. But I learned that my emotions would cause me to make wrong decisions I wouldn't normally want to make. So if I felt like my wife was disappointed, I would respond with anger or protect myself or justify. Well, I tried this, I tried that. And, you know, if I felt like my kids were disappointed because I didn't do enough, then I would respond more harsh or anger. What's changed for me is realizing that I don't have to be controlled by my emotions. My fear does not have to dictate my behavior. I can be scared, but I can remain calm. Where that was new for me, if I was scared, I was scrambling to protect or solve. And I just, I wore myself out in life by doing that. And now I don't, I don't work 18 hour days. I work 10 hour days or until I'm tired. Like today I decided when I'm done with you, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop for the day. It's great. There's a lot of stuff that still needs to be done, but I'm tired today and I'm, I'm okay with it. And I trust that it's going to be okay. Where before, if I didn't work 15 hours, I would think I was lazy and I, you know, I didn't deserve anything good to happen because I didn't put in the effort. Isn't that such an overarching theme? Being deserving, really what it is, is being deserving of being able to trust. Trust you're going to be fine. Trust that even if things don't go your way, that somehow it'll still still work out in a way because you're doing your best and you're putting your best foot forward. And you're not Mm -hmm. best if you are constantly under pressure. Brandon, one of the things that I'm uncovering in the book that I've written is that journey that in the pre, if you want to call it pre-healing stages Mm -hmm. in that unconscious, subconscious world where we're living with the trauma and navigating this society and our lives is we connect patterns that were built to protect and save us. And then I call it words, but really it's definitions of emotions. It's how we define our emotions that dictate our lives, that really govern how we behave. And when Mm. we are on the other side of healing, those things disconnect because we're aware, right? And that's the sense that I've noticed that is one of the most amazing things is emotions now aren't related to the underlying past. They just exist. You know, I call the words exist today and they have the place that they're put in that they deserve versus being attached to any behavior outcome. So I love that feeling and I love that that's where we are. And as, and as that, would you say that's consistent with how you feel? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, number one, I learned that willpower won't work. It's part of it. Having grit and determination and don't quit is part of it. But the other part of it is learning how to handle our own emotions, which for me was really around fear. And it was fear of disappointing people and uh, the fear of not being successful, the fear of being the POS that I was told I was. And I was determined I wasn't. And unfortunately for me, that meant for me money. And so I worked really, really hard to make a lot of money. Then when the money was gone, I had nowhere to hang my hat, so to speak. I felt like a failure. Well, reality is I wasn't. I had a wife that we don't have a perfect marriage, but we really enjoy each other. We like each other. We've worked through a lot of things that we both brought in the marriage. I have great relationships with my kids. Like I'm, I'm successful in a lot of ways, but for me, for a long time, I looked at the bank account and was like, I'm a piece of shit. Now I look at it and go, you know, I think it's the desire to grow my company now comes from a very different place. It comes from a place truly what I used to think it does. And I had this passion as a kid that, you know, my dad was a business owner and I used to think if I could help him take some stress off his plate and make a little bit more money, maybe he wouldn't be so stressed out and drink too much and bring all that chaos. And I remember at 27 years old, my first company, I remember that somebody told me, he's like, man, Brandon, I love what you guys do for me. It's like, you, you take some of the stress off my plate and you're helping me be consistent with my, my revenue generation. And it was like this ding, ding, ding went off. And now I can do that from that place. I actually, I sell better now because I don't have pressure to close a deal. I serve people better. Everything just seems to click better because I show up as a more peaceful person that doesn't feel like I have to do this. All I have to do is show up and, and do the best that I can and let what's going to come out, come out. That's not to say, because anyone who says outcomes don't matter, they're, they're wrong. They're measurements of whether you learned and you, and you prepared and you grew. But outcomes don't matter in the attachment we put on the importance. Yeah. And the the you, outcomes don't matter to my perception of myself. And I think that that's a really, I've heard outcomes don't matter uh, so much from so many people who are navigating the waters of healing. But the meaning of that is that they don't connect your worth and your value to whatever happens. And I think it's it's probably easy for people like us to speak in that hyperbole and say outcomes don't matter because outcomes were the only thing that mattered before. Absolutely. Never once for me, and, and I didn't do this consciously all the time, but it was definitely the way it was. And that was, there was always a transaction coming. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a good safe way to keep a relationship going because if it was transactional, you can finish the transaction, move on and everyone's safe. And so the outcome always mattered to the end result that that was the goal. And if that's not the driving force, if you're serving, if you want to make an impact, if you want to make a difference that is connected to your soul, if you will, and that's where you have said you basically are, that then work happens, things move more easily, doesn't solve everything. Like, let, let's just be sure that we're not sharing with everybody that, hey, just because you're in a better mental place doesn't mean the house and the car and everything is just back in your yard if, you, if that's what you lost at one point. Like, it doesn't happen that way. However, <laughs> every step along the way is moving towards a bigger future for yourself. Yeah. You remember my first experience where I was worried that a deal was going to go south and all the indications seemed like it was going to, and I was really counting on it. 
And I wouldn't normally, I would normally be fretting, figuring out what do I need to do? How do I salvage it? Da, 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 da. And I remember just sitting there going, well, well, God, I trust you and I'm going to be okay with whatever comes of it. That situation, I remember it ended up, got the call and it was the opposite of what I expected. In fact, it was a done deal and move forward. But I was so glad that not only did I experience that peace when I thought it was all going to fall apart. I texted a couple of my guys in my life and I said, you know what? I just feel tremendous peace. And I really like this. I, you know, I shared with them, but I was really glad I shared it with them because it helped me remember that I had that peace before the good outcome and not just the good outcome happened. So I felt good about it, which was what most of my life was. You know, I stacked up a series of successes. So it was easy to think I was peaceful. Build a company, sold it. Built another company, sold it. Our kids were all healthy and happy and, you know, we bought a new home and we did, you know, all those things. It was really easy to think I was peaceful because all good things were happening around us. But as soon as things weren't working out well, that's when my true roots came out. And man, it was ugly. Brandon, this has been amazing. We've known each other and I, I love knowing men that I've known for a long time. And then there's a moment somewhere along the line and this happened for us, I don't know, in the last six or eight months, where we stepped over a line and said, you know, it matters that we have a meaningful conversation that's real, yeah. that gave each other space to share some of these things. And, you know, the message is powerful. The power is that you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to, yeah. you can trust that in a situation, any situation, if you're true to your mm -hmm. core and you're willing to share that sometimes you're not okay, you're going to be just fine. You know, I would imagine a lot of your audience is going to be men that have gone through trauma or have come through trauma or dealing with trauma. But for anyone else that's listening that maybe they don't, you don't get what, what some of us men have gone through. One observation I have about the world is if a man loses his wife and she dies, people rally around him. If a man gets cancer, people rally around him. There's all these things in life that people will naturally rally around a man for. But when a man goes through anxiety or depression, they've lost a business and go through depression, or they lost their job and their identity, but all those things. Unfortunately, it's not natural yet for our culture, for people to go rally around that person and understand what they're going through. And yet, if you were to ask anybody, if you said, listen, one of your friends is going to be in desperate need of your support because they're in that situation. Everybody will say, I'll be there. Other challenges were our own worst enemies because the last thing we do is reach out for help. And, and I'll say on the other side, for anyone that's listening, I'm a guy that asked for a lot of help. I asked for a lot of help and couldn't find it. Hindsight, I should have looked in other places. I should have asked more professionals, whatever. But I felt like I asked a lot of people and had a lot of people give me lip service and walk away. And so I think it's important for both, right? I think your strong message of be the one that asks for help. My strong message is if you're the one that's asking for help and you don't get it, keep looking, don't give up. And that's where I think I encourage people now, hey, if you're not sure, look, I'm not a doctor, go see a psychiatrist, yeah. get your chemicals tested. My, my DNA work gave me so much freedom. I thought I was just completely nuck and fuds. Well, it ends up there was a medical reason why I was. That gave me a lot of freedom and helped me heal, not just physically, but it helped me heal emotionally and mentally too, because it, it gave me like, there was a cause. 
But when we have a physiological defect, we are living, breathing, biological organisms. And to imagine somehow that our consciousness is not part of that system and somehow elevates itself in some esoteric place that isn't connected to our chemistry is ludicrous. And for us to separate that that may not need as much physiological treatment as another injury does, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to make sense, but we, we tend to continue to go there. So I love the message that you're sharing. I love the fact that you are bringing that information forth for others to understand that there's a lot of talk therapy out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But that's not necessarily going to do the, the work, right. the hard work. There's a heavy lifting part of this that might have to be. Yeah, and a lot of the talk therapy doesn't do any good until you get the chemical therapy right. You're, you're just not equipped to handle what's in front of you. No, and we've talked about EMDR because you also have yeah. been through EMDR. And yeah. there's some heavy lifting because it strips out the anxiety and mm -hmm. the anxiousness you feel. And all of a sudden you can start thinking clearly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I look back and go, gosh, when I was under all this tremendous stress, anxiety, and depression, and I was starting a company, no, no wonder it failed. I didn't know how to, I wasn't thinking correctly. I was thinking out of fear. I made rash decisions and yeah, it makes sense. Like that's my biggest thing for people is just take a pause and get help. And go straight to the top of the, the hierarchy on mental health. Go straight to a psychiatrist and ask about DNA work. Ask about getting your chemical done. You can go to a therapist too and talk. But my experience was I talked to a lot of therapists and a lot of coaches. And it didn't sit. It didn't take because my, my chemicals were so jacked up. Brandon, we're, you know, you're a businessman, you are a leader, you have wisdom to share, and you have a connectedness with understanding that a lot of men don't. You create a wonderful space without an emasculation, if you will, of other men in your presence. And if someone wanted to connect with you, how do they, how do they find you? I mean, we're going to put your information, you know, in the podcast listing, but is there something else that you want to share that you know, people can connect with you at. Sure. Yeah, probably. I mean, the easiest way is is going to be on LinkedIn and it's uh, Brandon Lee. It's actually Brandon Lee Digital is my is my handle there. Is, Instagram is probably a good spot too. Brandon Lee Digital. I, I don't go into Facebook nearly as much anymore. And and I don't do that with Twitter as well. But and then my personal website is brandonlee.me uh, and my company website is funnelamplified.com. I'm open to talk to people. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm not a licensed doctor. But if you talk to me, the encouragement that I'm probably going to give you is I'm going to listen for a little bit and I'm going to say, call a psychiatrist and go get help. Like yeah. start there because as you said, it's just chemistry. If our chemicals are not in a place, it doesn't matter how much therapy we do. It doesn't matter how many times we read books on positive thinking or how to change our mindset. I mean, I've done, I did that. Like, I mean, I, I've got all the books to show you and none of them took mm -hmm. until I got my chemicals right. A lot of men would be well served to align with people in their life, in business and in life who have walked the walk. We demand if we're going to be coached that they played the game, if we're going to be trained in music that they have some, if they've gone to Juilliard, if, you know, mm -hmm. if you're an entrepreneur coach, you better have run a few businesses and enjoyed both failures and successes, right? We yep. demand that. Well, life is more than that tangible stuff. It's the intangibles of our condition, our emotions, 
navigating mm-hmm. what all of us have in some way, shape or form, some kind of trauma. Um, yeah. Some is just more extreme. Aligning ourselves with people who are similar of thought and experience who we might learn from is always a good thing. And Brandon, um, I feel aligned with you and I, I, I thank you so much for uh, being in my life and being a part of you know this this message or this movement that we're really pushing. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Can I can I end on this story real quick, just to emphasize everything that I've been saying? I have a mentor that's walked with me for 23 years, and he's an amazing man. I needed I needed help when I first got married to understand how to do these things, and and I didn't have a good example. You get all that. He stepped in and has walked with me for 23 years, and. As I've gone through this, he's been there for me. He's listened to me. He's talked with me. But he didn't know what to do after a while because he didn't walk in it. And one day he called me and he said, hey, I golfed with this guy the other day that has the story. I think you need to talk to him. And I said, okay. And I called him. And within 10 minutes, 10 minutes is all it took. He said, get your ass to a psychiatrist. Your chemicals are jacked up. Nobody's told you this. I get it. But first thing you need to do is go see a psychiatrist and get your chemicals looked at because you're not going to solve anything until you do that. And I think that's what you're saying. He walked it. He felt it. He lived it. He shared his story. And he, you know, five, six years before he got help and all that, the fact that he walked in those same shoes, they was able to say, do this. And that's, and that was the beginning of the end of a long season for me. Not just that we don't want to be alone in this, is that we don't have to be. We have this dreadful fear that we're alone in our own worlds, that no one's had this experience, but it takes a comfortable conversation to normalize the narrative, to make it accessible, to know that I can have a conversation. Yeah, Brandon, you know, maybe, maybe I know a guy who can help you with that thing. You know, all of a sudden it's no different than I know a guy, you know, and if community is everything, right. Who can help another guy. um, That's all it takes. Brandon, thanks very much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being part of this. I love where this is going. I love the conversations. They're warm, they're encouraging, they're full of love and hope. And I think that that ultimately will help men become happier. Great parents, because it really, when we look into our kids' eyes, isn't that all that matters really? It's just helping them be better in their lives. I appreciate it. My pleasure. We're sharing the Unlimited Worth Project podcast, book, and my speaking engagements worldwide so we can normalize the narrative and encourage conversations between men who have healed and men who need to, while reducing the drama and sensationalism in the media, and seek the treatment and support they need to heal. They are worthy of love and success. When they know this, they can realize their unlimited worth. All guests appearing on the podcast have done so voluntarily. We do not require a fee from our guests. They have had the chance to express any concerns they might have and consented to their voice, image, name, and likeness in video or audio format to be used by Mike and the Unlimited Worth Project. This podcast has been edited for content and clarity prior to publication. The podcast content and likenesses are owned by Mike Skripnik Fit Family Enterprises, Inc. and the Unlimited Worth Project and our producer, Anibus Media. Redistribution without prior written consent is prohibited. The information, suggestions, and ideas of the podcaster or any other non-accredited, unqualified guests are exactly that, opinions, and do not constitute professional advice, counsel, or prescriptive recommendations for our listening audience. If you need help, seek professional help and do it today.